Hello and welcome to another edition of Troll and Chop, the podcast of Pastors Maker Magazine, the long-range cruising authority. I'm your host, Jeff Moser. Today's episode of Trawler Talk is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. Outer Reef specializes in building robust blue-water yachts that focus on luxury, efficiency, safety, and technological ingenuity. With a model line ranging from 58 to 115 feet, Outer Reef Yachts is the perfect model to suit any cruising lifestyle. Find out more at outerreefyachts.com. Now, it's time for our podcast. Today on Trawler Talk, we sit down with professional delivery captain Jim Marshall of Reliable Yacht Deliveries. I met Marshall a few months back when a boat manufacturer hired him to accompany myself and a few of the journalists from Patches Maker's sister publications on a multi-day, couple hundred mile ring out which involved the early spring Gulfstream crossing. The job of a delivery captain sounds like a dream occupation, and in many ways it is. Marshall certainly agrees, but he also talks about the meticulous planning and wealth of knowledge it takes as a technical navigator and balancing an owner or broker's expectations while closely following weather trends to execute the most efficient delivery. Simply put, you cannot let a calendar determine your itinerary. As a marine journalist, we often meet these professional mariners, and each time I walk away with valuable information from these seasoned seafarers. For this episode, I'm joined by Power Motor Yacht Editor-in-Chief Dan Harding and Pim Ben Hemmen, Executive Editor of Soundings. I hope you enjoy it. You know, right out, right out of the gate, I was impressed with James because he sent us an itinerary, I think it was two nights ago, or maybe it was last night, talking about the weather and talking about how the trip was going to go across. And it was just it was just so detailed, but not too bogged down. And I just immediately felt confident in his skills. And then you know, we got out there today, we were taking four to sixers right on the nose, more or less, and we could have made it at 10 knots, but right. at, what is it, 60 nautical miles or so? Yeah, a little bit less than that, but it would have been a long afternoon, for sure. It would sure. have been a slog, and we would have got into Bimini well past dark, and that's just not what we wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it goes from uh, work, from being fun to work all of a sudden, and hard work, and we uh, didn't want to beat up the boat, didn't want to beat up the people, and... Um, you know, tomorrow the weather forecast is supposed to be better. It's supposed to be lighter. The season is supposed to be down a bit. So we're looking forward to an early start and uh, better conditions. I'm always I'm always nervous about getting on a boat with somebody I don't know. And uh, I was like you, Jeff. I, I, I saw Jim's email. I was like, okay, we got a good captain. This guy is definitely a thinker, you know. And then when we were going out and we're, we're out there, I was, I was just trying to think, hmm, how long is this going to take? Maybe this is going a little slower than we want. And right then, Jim turned the boat around. And that was, to me, definitely the right call. Yeah, I think it was it was funny because, you know, all the buildup for the trip, everyone's excited. We took we took some spray over the over the rail. Everyone's smiling, laughing. This is great. And while we're all smiling, laughing, having a good time, James is clearly looking at this like, okay, we're getting in at 8 o'clock. It's, it's going to be fun for half an hour. But once that initial fun wears off, it's going to be a long day. Yeah. So smart judgment. And I would have stayed in the flybridge in a swimsuit for a few hours, but that gets old. But, right. For you know, all of us. For all of us. <laughs> right. Snorkel and goggles. Yeah. Well, you know, Jim, how did you get started doing this? Well, the the whole thing's genetic in my family, as, as I like to say. Uh, my father was a great sailor, racing sailor, as well as cruising sailor. And we grew up on the coast of Maine cruising, and I learned so much navigation and coastal piloting from him. And then very quickly, I got into ocean racing. I did the, my first transatlantic race in, uh, when I was 16, and that was quite an experience. And then um, it's always been in the industry 
first as a sales designer and sail maker for North Sales. Then I worked for a company that did instrumentation and computer systems, and I was a tactical navigator on a lot of the high-end racing boats, and then I was involved with the America's Cup, especially for the 2000 campaign. And after all that, it sort of all gelled together, and I said, okay, now what's the next step? And uh, a buddy of mine, a good friend of mine and customer of mine says, you know, you ought to just start a, a delivery business. You'll obviously love it. Uh, you do a great job. You take care of the customer's boats. Um, put a website together, get the network going, uh, do a little bit of marketing, and um, business will come to you. And it's been great for the last 11, 12 years. Talk a little bit about uh, your America's Cup campaign experience. So you, you were a big-time sailor, and now I assume you deliver a lot of motorboats? I do. Uh, certainly deliver a lot of motorboats now, and, and uh, there's probably actually much more powerboat delivery and movement than there is sailboat delivery and movement. But backing up into the America's Cup campaign, um, I didn't race on the boat. I, I often sailed on the what we call the B-boat. But my main uh, job was communications with the sponsors and uh, Young America uh, New York Yacht Club America's Cup campaign um, was primarily supported by private donations. So we had a huge number of uh, individuals that were very closely tied to and associated with the campaign. And my job was to communicate good, bad, or indifferent. What happened every day? We had a bad day in the water. Don't, don't uh, sugarcoat it. Tell it like it is because then you're being real with the people. How does your sailing experience apply to what you do? Well, a lot of it, uh, we were talking about earlier, I said the thing about deliveries as opposed to racing sailboats, racing sailboats, you have to go no matter what the weather is. Deliveries, you sort of back it off a little bit, take care of the boat and don't push it. And uh, so you have a little bit more flexibility and, and latitude. But I think one of the re really interesting things is my experience as a tactical racing navigator pays off even in powerboats. How do you most efficiently get a powerboat from... Fort Lauderdale to Beaufort, uh, North Carolina. It's not a straight line. The straight line is not the answer. You know, Jim, I think a lot of people that read our magazines think about the job of a yacht delivery captain and just envy it. You think about, you know, Monday through Friday, you're out there on the water doing what you love, the beautiful days. We know that's not, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. What are some of the challenges that come with the job? Well, and that's very, very true. It, it um, you know, you hope for the best, but you plan for the worst. And and uh, I think some of the real challenges is you get into boats that maybe um, are used boats that have just been purchased by a, a new customer. They're not familiar with the boat. They're not familiar with the maintenance of the boat. So one of the jobs that we do is to jump in and look really hard at the systems and say, are they working well? Or are they not working? Or were are the potential problems? And we do a lot of problem solving on the fly, but we also kind of do a lot of consulting with the owners. How do we basically move this uh, project forward in a positive manner? The uh, new boats, of course, you're checking out all the systems from scratch and making sure that uh, when they were installed and tuned up and commissioned, everything was done properly. Well, story, we brought a, uh, we picked up a, um, a big sailboat to go to Newport Boat Show. And uh, we switched over the fuel tanks and the engine stopped. And we sort of said, why did that happen? Went down there, oh, there's some water in the fuel. Okay, so drain the water out. Flip back to the other fuel tank, off we go. 
couple hours later, I was we got to switch this over to the fuel tank. Boom, the engine stopped. Well, it turned out that the dock hands had filled the starboard fuel tank with water. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. So, so you run into those problems every once in a while, and then you just have to come up with uh, clever uh, solutions. Jeez. What'd you do in that case? <laughs> well, we um, stopped using the starboard fuel tank, number one. And then we looked very carefully at uh, how much fuel we were burning, how far we could go, and what the, you know, take advantage of the sailing conditions we have, and made it all the way to Newport. Um, you know, considering these deliveries up and down the coast, um, you've got these timelines that, you know, owners are anxious to get on their boats. How do you balance the owner's expectations with, you know, realistic what's happening out there on the water? I think the answer is being realistic with the owner. And I've never had a problem. I've been late. I've never had a problem or an argument with an owner about being late. And I just uh, explain it as paying me an extra day is inexpensive insurance against a potential problem if we break something big. And um, you know, our job is to really look after the, their possession, their, their um, pride and joy as if it were our own. So in, in situations where we've run into a bunch of bad weather, call them up, explain the situation, tell them exactly what the forecast is. And fortunately, my weather forecasting capabilities are pretty good because I'm both a pilot, as in an airplane pilot, as well as a, a boater. So I, I look at weather pretty much in depth. But when I lay it out and say, here's, here's the risk to reward ratio, you don't want to be high on the risk. You want to be high on the reward. Um, talk a little bit about the crossing that we started today. We, when we were out there, we were talking about how to uh, get to Bimini, and uh, like you said before, it's not a straight line. Talk a little bit about okay. that. Okay. Well, uh, you know, from Fort Lauderdale over to Bimini is uh, across the Gulf Stream. Gulf Stream is flowing north. Uh, average speed, about two knots. So you have to course correct for that. And then because you're going a little bit against or angled against the Gulf Stream, you're going to be going a little bit slower over the bottom, so that affects the time on route. So looking at the potential speed of the boat, the wind direction, the uh, current direction, I figured were we able to go 15, 16, 17 knots, we were kind of looking at a, about a um, nine degree course correction to the south, and it would be about four hours over there. When we got into four and six foot seas, and I had to start to work the throttles to keep the boat from flying off the waves. I realized at 10 knots, it was going to be a whole bunch longer. And uh, as you mentioned, we'd get there after dark and not such a great situation. It's a riskier situation. So, again, we just backed it off. And uh, after all, it's also supposed to be fun for everybody. Today's Trawler Talk podcast is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts from 58 to 115 feet. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Now, let's get back to our conversation. Right, you know, one of the things, I think the Gulf Stream has, there's a lot of, uh, what would you say, not fear factor, but there's a lot, a lot of, I mean, it can be intimidating for, for a lot of boaters that haven't made the trip across the Gulf for the first time. It can be intimidating. What advice would you have for the boater that, that's dreaming about going over to the Bahamas for the first time? Well, crossing the Gulf Stream, um, and I've seen it in lots and lots of different moods, and essentially sort of 
split the choices into, into two, almost into two. If the wind is out of the north, that is northwest, north, or northeast, the, gulf, or the wind is against the current, and the seas get very large, very close together, and they're very steep. So the ride is very unpleasant. With the wind in the south, southeast, south, southwest, generally the sea conditions are laid down a bunch, much uh, flatter, the seas are rounder, uh, not as bad. Um, today it was blowing 25, we had four to six foot seas and they were, you know, they were big, big enough to make it unpleasant. So the first thing is check your weather forecast um, and just watch it. I, I generally end up watching the weather almost every day because I'm going to be at least, you know, doing a, another trip in two or three days after this. So watch the weather, watch the trends in the weather. It gives you a good idea um, and then wait until you get uh, appropriate southerly quadrant uh, breeze. And the and there are times during the year when it's almost glass and you can go across the Gulf Stream and you think you're going down Long Island Sound in an August day. And then there are times when it's pretty ugly. The uh, Depending on where you want to go, that is, if I were to go straight across the Gulf Stream from Fort Lauderdale and head towards Eleuthera, I would just sail the course that was 90 degrees to the axis of the Gulf Stream, basically sail east because the water is flowing north. Don't worry about getting set to the north because once you're on the other side of the Gulf Stream, let's say pick a number, you're 120 miles from the east end of Eleuthera, roughly. That's off the top of my head. Well, if you're set six miles north because of the Gulf Stream when you do the crossing, that's only a three-degree course correction to the east end of Eleuthera. The rule of thumb is one, deg- one, one mile equals one degree in 60 miles. So it's just a really quick way for me to do course corrections. And, you know, for most boats, that's well within the normal range of heading as you go along. So it's nothing. As you have to cross on an angle, then you have to decide... In a sailboat, for example, um, you might want to sail down the shore in slack water, a reverse current, before you go across and sail again more directly across the current. In the powerboat today, I, I basically made a course correction of, I think, about nine degrees. And that would have at first set us north of the rum line, but then as the current slacked, that would have brought us back to the rum line directly to Pimini. So you mentioned uh, the time of year uh, making a difference. We're, we attempted this uh, in March. Uh, what's, what's a good time to do it? Um, later, you know, the um, April, May, May, June, July, it's uh, often quite a bit lighter. Uh, a lot of thunderstorms in July, August, but uh, generally much lighter breeze overall. So that's a good time. You know, if you're cruising down in the, in the Bahamas or in the islands, May is, is generally a great time of the year to go, June. Um, flip side of that is December. Um, quite often, Sometimes they have what is called Christmas winds. And the Christmas winds are when you get a really hard easterly just pumping in all the time, and it can stay for a long period of time. Uh, but December, January, February, tougher months. We're here right in the middle of March, so... December, January, February, generally more northerly breezes, cold fronts that come down, and uh, tougher, tougher choices to get across. So, you know, one of, the, one of the things that really struck me is, you know, you're obviously experienced with boats, handling boats, driving boats, the, sh- you know, the ship systems. 
One of the characteristics that I feel like makes a good captain is also a person that handles an unbelievable amount of logistics and coordinating. <laughs> you know, you, you were handling our health visas and then our, our COVID tests just to get over to the Bahamas. What role does that play in the job of a delivery captain? Well, just try to make it efficient and easy for everybody. It's, you know, doing a little bit of homework uh, and uh, figuring out the systems and, um, and utilizing you. One of, the, one of the stories I like to tell, there's a great app if you're coming back from out of the country, Mexico or the Bahamas or the Virgin Islands. It's called CBP Rome. That's like Charlie Bravo Papa Rome. And uh, essentially, you enter in the boat's information, all the crew, their passport pictures and stuff. And um, when you're five miles offshore, you call them up and they do a video conference and clear you while you're at sea. And I was bringing a boat from uh, Cabo San Lucas in Mexico, north to Newport Beach, California. And everybody's like, oh, you got to go into San Diego. It's two hours into the dock. You got to call them ahead of time. And then it's two hours back to the ocean and turn the corner and go north. And I said, well, I, I think I have an answer for this. And uh, we literally got to the sea buoy off San Diego. I called the guy at two in the morning. He cleared us straight through customs and we were in Newport Beach the next day. Wow. Best kept secret. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's good. It's a great tip. Yeah. Speaking of apps, uh, what, what's your favorite weather? Uh, oh, um, the favorite one I, at this point is it's called windy.com, windy. WINDY.com. It's good because it gives you the GFS or the American model, the US model, it gives you the European model, ECMWF, it gives you the European model. And those are the two predominant models that we work with on, in the US East Coast and West Coast. And you can kind of compare and contrast. There are a couple of other models, but they're not as. Um, have as much resolution uh, time-wise. And you're looking for a convergence of those models for them to provide you with the same answers. So if you watch it over time and they're all coming together, you've got a pretty high confidence factor in the forecast you're getting. Um, if they're divergent and they're giving you totally different answers, then you have to really sort of watch and, uh, you know, watch and match what you see to what the forecast is. Um, so windy is number one. Uh, of course, there's the government NWS or NOAA weather site, which is good, uh, generally good. There's another one called Tropical Tidbits. Funny name, but it is um, a very, very effective three-dimensional model of the wind and the weather and what's going on. And um, I've used that one quite often as well. I got a question um, about... You're on a lot of different boats, and like today we have Raymarine. Last week you had Simrad. The week before that, Garmin. How do you, you know, learn these systems? I mean, they're they're similar, but they're also quite different. About you know, you know, say you're doing a radar overlay, or you want to get AIS up, or you want to do something else, maybe overlay serious weather. How do mm -hmm. you get yourself attuned to these different systems? Well, that's a good question because they're all developing at different rates. And you've got Raymarine, you've got B&G, you've got Simrad, you've got um, Garmin and Furuno. Those are the primary ones. And they all treat the same information differently or the menus to get that information or sometimes the semantics of the, you know, the words they use. B&G, of course, they're all British, so they 
butcher the U.S. language. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of just hunting back. As I go through there, I, you know, generally you can turn them on and they're going to give you basic information. You can work with that. And then I just go through the menus and just search down the menus, trying to find the information that I need to do the job that needs to be done. I try not to get too carried away with the uh, all the bells and whistles. Um, sometimes that's more fluff than it is, uh, you know, important information. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid, yeah. yeah. Uh, another question I have is we're seeing in the last couple of years a lot of new boaters coming into the sport. I mean, if you were just to offer them one piece of advice, what would it be? Or two, or three, <laughs> whatever you got. Let's hear it. Well, that's a great question, and uh, makes me think a little bit of, you know, I think um, stay within your comfort level. Uh, we talked about risk-to-reward ratio, and don't put yourself in a situation where you don't have an answer. Um, training certainly is is available and very, very useful, and I do that with a lot of customers, is they'll get a new boat, and they say, can you spend three days or four days or ten days? And, um, you know, and we go through, we do docking maneuvers, we do um, um, stop and go maneuvers, we we look through all the systems and work through that. So, you know, obviously training is very, very important. But I think uh, maybe the different way to look at it is when you see people get in a little bit over their heads, and normally it's because they're uh, pushing into conditions where they haven't plan for, or like we started this conversation, they have an idea that I need to be someplace in a certain time frame, And that just jacks the risk uh, ratio way up and, and uh, normally isn't worth it. What's, um, just to top it off, worst experience or best experience you've ever had or an experience that our listeners can learn from? You said worst experience. I, uh, let me rephrase that a little bit the worst weather that i've ever been in um was uh, the 1979 fastnet race about 15 people uh, lost their lives it's a classic uh race that's been written about many many times and the, and it really boiled down to a couple things on the boat that i was involved in i wasn't the skipper but i was the number two guy in the boat and the sail maker and the sail trimmer and stuff and one was um, basically secure all non-essential people and equipment uh, below. And there were some guys that were so scared on the boat that they were uh, non-functional on deck. And that just becomes a liability. And I said, you guys go down below. And then I kept with me on deck three guys who, when I said we need to do something, they would do it. And they were, you know, they were working through the system. They, were, they kept on going, kept, kept on fighting. The other thing is never stop sailing your boat. And so many of the people that had problems uh, did two things. They took all the sails down. Well, then you're a cork, and it's really, really uncomfortable cork to be in. And they may have done the next really bad thing, thinking that a life raft is a better solution than a floating boat. Absolutely not. You know, we always say sort of tongue in cheek, but we really mean it, is you don't get into a life raft until it's a step up. So, but keeping the boat sailing was the key thing for um, safety. 
And basically, mentally, I said, okay, we're not racing anymore. We're sailing to keep the boat safe. Which, But sail gave the boat speed, which gave you maneuverability, which allowed us to steer up and over the waves or to bear off when big breaking seas came. It gave us that maneuverability, which was so key. Ted Turner and the guys who did well in that race are the ones who kept their speed up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think those are the... The big lessons was uh, you put, even though you're, the other lesson in there is um, your best people may be tired, but your best people exhausted are going to be better than inexperienced people trying to sail the boat. Well, that's the worst. Tell us about some of the amazing memories you've had up and down the East or West Coast, or maybe, uh-huh. like, or maybe a second part of that, a trip that you want to take. Ah, interesting. Well, I've always enjoyed sailing on the coast of Italy, uh, mostly racing, all the time racing, as a matter of fact. But uh, the conditions are are great. The sailing is good. It's challenging. Um, the food's really good. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was waiting for the food to miss it. Yeah, the wine is, okay. <laughs> the wine is great. So yes. We're all good there. Um, so I really enjoyed the whole experience, if you will, there. Um, we had some, um, uh, did the Transpac from uh, Long Beach to Honolulu, and that's sort of idyllic, you know, high-speed, beautiful sailing on a 70-foot boat that's going 22, 24 knots, and you're just surfing down wave after wave after wave, and the only thing you have to watch out for is flying fish. So that that's pretty special. Um as far as cruising, I would say the Exumas in the Bahamas are pretty, pretty incredible. The The color of the water is, if you look at a Google um, Earth uh, picture of the Exumas, it's like looking at a gem or a series of gems in the water. They just sparkle. And it's fun because it um, there are a couple of marinas, but mostly you're, you're out uh, on the hook. You're... Um, you know, you're cruising and uh, anchored out and, and really enjoying the water and swimming and, and everything like that. Today's episode of Trawler Talk is brought to you by Outer Reef Yachts, a leading manufacturer of award-winning long-range motor yachts. Outer Reef specializes in building robust blue water yachts that focus on luxury, efficiency, safety, and technological ingenuity. With a model line ranging from 58 to 115 feet, Outer Reef Yachts has the perfect model to suit any cruising lifestyle. Find out more at OuterReefYachts.com. Thank you for listening to Trawler Talk, the podcast of Passage Maker Magazine, the long-range cruising authority. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and go ahead and click that five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. And if you're not a subscriber to Passage Maker, it's easier than ever to get our magazine delivered to wherever you lay your head. Just go to PassageMaker.com slash subscribe. For Passage Maker Magazine, this is Editor-in-Chief Jeff Moser. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, fair winds and safe travels. Mm-hmm.